0: All right, if you're anything like me, you hate running out of food on a trip, it's like a big fear, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of snacks during an adventure, and one of my absolute favorite go-to snacks are wonderful pistachios. You may be familiar with pistachios, and the brand Wonderful Pistachios, but if you're not, they are one of the highest protein nuts out there. One ounce serving of Wonderful Pistachios is six grams of protein. That's 10% of your daily value. It also includes nine essential amino acids, and they come with a ton of different flavors, varieties. There's a spicy version, there's lightly salted, there's no salted, there's so many. And every time I go on an adventure, I, not even lying, I take an entire bag with me. And what's cool too, I love having the Wonderful Pistachio in shell because then that almost gives me something to do and focus on as I'm paddling or biking through the really monotonous parts of the adventure. Every great adventure is going to have plenty of boring moments, and it's nice to have something to do and also something that is giving you some fuel, like Wonderful Pistachios. So they're one of my favorite adventure snacks, favorite road trip snacks, and definitely leave me feeling better than a lot of other snacks you can turn to. So if you want to learn more about how to fuel your next adventure with Wonderful Pistachios, go to Wonderful pistachios.com to learn more. Hey folks, first off, uh, apologies for getting the episode up late. Uh, yeah, crazy weekend to say the least. I, I had to work, but my dog got injured, unfortunately, and I you know spent the weekend really caring for her in the beginning of this week, and then my kids are sick, and oh my gosh, I, I usually use the weekend time to work on Monday's episode, but it, that was not going to happen this weekend. So I'm getting it up late. And this is a really long episode. It's an unbelievable conversation with Craig Sawyer. And how I know Craig, which we don't get into until the very end of this episode is that we met at the last paddler standing. If you remember uh, me talking about that back in December, we have a 24 hour, basically a a, a running clock adventure paddleboard race uh, that goes around in this basically 5K loop around this lake until there's one person left standing. And it lasts like 50 hours, Well, Craig was one of those competitors. He dropped out and invited, and he had helped to get a lot of video production set up before the race. So he was already helping with the IT stuff and getting stuff set up. And then, you know, we just started talking on camera because we're live streaming this whole race and I do commentary for it. And we quickly found out that Craig is like, amazing at interviewing and at hosting and at just you know talking about the race and he knows everybody and has so much experience great communicator that's like dang dude i'm you're perfect for this so we We basically hung out for two straight days, getting to know each other. And uh, he had been, and we talked a little bit about it on the live stream, but I wanted to hear more on the podcast, which was the Yukon 1000 that he did on paddleboard. It is a race, technically a race, but you know everybody's just trying to basically complete it. It's a thousand miles on the Yukon River in the Yukon Territory and Alaska, and it is absolutely wild. And Craig and his good friend Skip who, by Craig's admission, is much more experienced, much more talented, much more prepared for this kind of thing. They decided to do it on paddleboard. Like I said, it's uh, 10 days, so 100 miles a day on paddleboard in some of the most remote areas of our continent. It was pretty wild. And as you'll hear, most of the adventure honestly happened beforehand with all the misadventures and everything that went on. But if you listen, really listen to just how unprepared and how unfit they seemed that they were for this adventure, yet they went for it anyway and amazing things happen. And there's so many lessons in this story. It was such a, pleasure to have Craig on. Craig is half this story. Skip, uh, if you want to learn more about them, check out uh, Surrey Hills Adventure Company, and just, just Google that Surrey, S-U-R-R-E-Y, Surrey Hills Adventure Company, and you can learn, if you're over in the UK, and you can learn more about going to their subclasses, and meeting some of the folks, and and, and getting in with the community, that's a community, because that's a huge theme in Craig's story, is community, and that finding that sense of community in paddleboarding so i'm going to be joining craig again to do the last paddler standing 2024 in december if you're around if you come down to florida sarasota come on and hang out we'll have you on camera we'll we'll put you up on the live stream uh interview you and just have a great time and, and lastly craig's day job is video production so very naturally he a uh, man of many talents i will tell you uh he's also making a documentary about this race and the experience and, and all the misadventures you're about to listen to and if I know anything about how he creates and uh, h- h- how meticulous he is, it's gonna be a, a beautiful, incredibly well-done film. So be on the lookout for that because the timing should be in the next few months uh, according to this conversation. And you can check out his website above66.co.uk. For Surrey Hills Adventure Company, I think it's the theshac.co.uk. All right, let's jump in. Greg Sawyer. I'm going to go ahead and welcome you to Adventure Sports Podcast. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. Thank you very much, Mason. Lovely to to be here.
0: I actually don't know this. Where where are you coming from? I know you live in the UK, but I don't know where. Where are you at?
1: So I'm in the UK. It's the south coast of the UK. Uh, Normally when I'm trying to explain where that is to people that aren't from the UK, it's like south of London, and if you hit the water, you've gone too far. So it's kind of like... It's between London and Brighton. I'm about, I'm about 25 minutes from the coast um, and about an hour from the capital.
0: Have you always been in that area? Did you grow up there? Where Where, where was home or how did you end up there? So it's
1: always been home. Um, born and bred in this area. Bounced around the villages um, as, as I've grown up. But yeah, it's, um, it's a perfect base as a growing up, but also as an adult as well. You know, you're near to the airport, so traveling is easy. Um, you know, the beach is... Thirty minutes, twenty minutes drive, but you can be in the city in you know in an hour. Uh, So you know it's if you're going to live in the UK, and if you put the weather aside, it's there's probably not many better places to live. I I, I, well, there's lots of lovely places, but it's a it's a very nice place to grow up and and live.
0: I don't know any of this. Here, did did you grow up in a family that that does kind of the adventures that you're doing? Does some of the extreme things that we're going to talk about today or is this kind of are you kind of like the oddball
1: i'm totally the oddball
0: <laughs> um,
1: there's literally zero adventure sports fitness in my family that's not to say my family aren't healthy and you know, i don't want to it sound like i'm like i'm knocking them but no there's there's not like a There's not some, I'm not going to start telling you stories of how I grew up as a kid, spearfishing and and, and climbing mountains. And, you know, it's very different, very
0: different to that. What did, well, what got you into it? Like, I always want to know, how do you, how do you get into a lot of people? It's when they, for me, it was when I went off to school, but I did go, grow up camping with my parents and my dad. And there was some like foundational stuff, but it was made it my own once I kind of got out of the house. What, what was your trajectory?
1: So, uh, for the adventure ultra endurance stuff nothing early i mean early on i mean my growing up i was not really a sporty person um you know i did sports but there was nothing you know i had to give up football at age 11 because everyone else got really good at it and you know it's um i was quite bad um <laughs> uh yeah it kind of there was not really much there but i do remember my mum brought me a gym membership for my 18th birthday. I remember that. Um, and I remember like, what the hell is, what? why have you brought me this? What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> you know, I had my hair down to my waist. You know, I was wearing leather jackets and out listening to Metallica and Megadeth. And my mum brought me a gym membership. You know, I was probably the the furthest from where you would expect to see someone in the gym. I, I went along and I, I really enjoyed it. So, So things like fitness, I'd say my 18th birthday was, just from a fitness point of view. But it was very much, you know, in the gym, bro weights. And then as I made my way into my 20s, you know, that I kept it going. I always, fitness from 18 to now has always been just part of my day, mm-hmm. it, as much as having lunch, having dinner, sleeping, the gym. You know, it's like my family, you know, my friends know that, you know, it's I've always been that way. And I get bored with things. So I jumped around, you know, I'd be in the gym and then I did kickboxing for like three years. Um, and then, then I got into CrossFit, and, mm-hmm. but there was never any kind of adventure and ultra stuff. It was all just, you know, five times a week in the gym or kickboxing or um, that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess the seeds of, I guess, paddling and adventure and ultra stuff started. I, I started kite surfing in my sort of mid-30s, um, where we're based on the South Coast. We have a great scene, you know, we're very lucky with the kind of wind direction. And we got a lot of the world's best riders are based, you know, within a ten mile radius of my house. So my love for kind of water started then, and being out of the water, I tore my MCL kite surfing.
0: Oh yeah, gosh, that story yeah, so, was crazy.
1: Yeah, so I tore my MCL kite surfing, and what that did is that introduced me to paddleboarding because you know there's guys down the beach paddle boards didn't really get it. You know, I, had, I had actually seen it for the first time. I was out kite surfing in Barbados on a, on a non-windy day. Uh, Brian Tarmer, 1980s windsurfing legend, had his, his de-action hire, hire shop on the beach. And we hired this really heavy Nash sup because it was the thing we could play around in the waves. And even I mean, I've got photos of me on that. So I've actually got a photo of my first ever time on a paddleboard. And it was in Barbados holding a paddle the wrong way around just trying to work out what this thing was one of the things i you know when you're so used to being on the water you realize how much you miss being outside in the water and i hadn't really thought about that until i tore my mcl and kite surfing was no longer an option while i was in rehab and so things that surf, we don't really have swell down here proper swell you know we have shore dump and lumps so surfing wasn't going to work anyway but someone was like you know paddleboarding is great you know you can get on the water and it, you know, it's great all round. It's great for recovery and rehabilitation for for the MCL, but it's also you know great cardio and fitness. And, so that's where it the, the paddleboarding started. Uh, but even then, it was going out for half an hour, forty five minutes, you know, on a lake or a river or a very calm day on the English Riviera in the summer.
0: And that and that was because you were still recovering, like like you couldn't handle anything more than that, really. Yeah well
1: it's weird because it it was sometime, but in my mind as well, it wasn't because I thought I wanted to do more, but I couldn't as well it just I was just doing what felt good for recovery mm-hmm. um you know, I was back in the gym doing what I could, and getting out just basically it was an option opportunity to get out in the fresh air, get out and see air um but it wasn't a case of oh this could I could go further or longer once my leg gets better. It was more like okay, that's cool, mm-hmm. so again it's a weird one it didn't it didn't really again grab me like say something like kite surfing did um when i
0: first started when was this by the way how long ago
1: 2017 so six years ago
0: so so not not crazy long ago i mean you're Uh, just uh, so known for it now and it's crazy isn't it like so so that is something we've heard about on this show a lot is like how injury you think you've found the thing you've loved and 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 one of the themes is like it, it, it it almost finding what you love early on prevents you from discovering new things later in life until you have an injury or something that literally prevents you from doing that thing. And then you find this other, th- it's crazy yeah. how some of us get pigeonholed so early on and then something like this has to force us to, to discover something else.
1: Yeah. And what I think is really exciting about that. Having now seen that process happen is I'm actually really excited about what else I might soon discover. Yeah. I mean, just made, you know?
0: You're excited for your next major injury, you know? Yeah. That's exciting. Well, I, I, I maybe not put it in those
1: words. <laughs> but but the, the point is, we don't know, you know, I, I'll keep doing it while I love it until I don't, and I'll mm-hmm. find something else, and something else will take over, and, and so on. I think that's really important. Um, if anything to do with physical fitness and the outdoors and the benefits, you know, you find these new things and you embrace it, you learn a new skill, you push yourself, you go back to the bottom of the ladder. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's so many great things about learning something new. But yeah, it was relatively recent, you know, 2017, and it kind of, you know, the injury got better. I started getting back, back together again. I kind of the thought of going back kite surfing was still not there, um, you know. Whilst the knee was repairing, I was fully aware it wasn't going to be the strongest. I mean, you look at most beaches and the kite surfers; you all see them going out. With- braces on and all sorts you know and i kind of i didn't want to be that i, I, I didn't want to be that guy that was get the older i got the more i looked like robocop um <sighs> you know, it's kind of um so yeah so the so the, the paddle boarding kept going I, I brought a board i brought a, a surf sup even though we have no surf down here because it looked cool <laughs> and then where did it go from there um i do remember seeing online we have a a race or a series called sup bike run uh, which is kind of like a twist on a normal triathlon so rather than yes yeah, so you basically it was a triathlon series in the uk uh where you got sup uh you've got mountain biking and you've got trail running so that's the kind of and uh, you know and there's the, at, the, at the time there was i think there was maybe three or four events in the year and it, i saw it advertised on facebook i think and i thought oh that is quite interesting you know you know, I've got a sup I can you know, it was like a 2k I think the uh, the long distance was like 2k sup then there was like a, a 35 kilometer mountain bike in Wales so a bit hilly and then it was a 10k trail run to finish with and um I remember thinking oh you know that, that's 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 interesting uh, I signed up for it um and you know the whole kind of sliding doors moment the whole kind of when you look back on moments in your life and you think what would have happened or what did that decision of going to that race start what and it, it's, it's pretty mental kind of like the, the dominoes that fell from that that led to where I am now so effectively I, I went to this race in Wales on my own in my camper van didn't know anyone mountain bike strapped to the back and uh got to the went there the night before so you could camp over at the site and i you know, met a few other people in the car park it was a you know, proper like car park campsite <laughs> and everyone was like, oh well you know there's a there's a nice country pub about you know 10 minutes cycle up the road we're all going to go up there do you fancy joining us and at sure as hell yeah got on the mountain bike and we all wobbled our way up to the pub and started drinking like athletes do you know beer and all the things that you know <laughs> that we probably shouldn't do the, the day before or the night before and there was probably 20 30 of us up at this country pub in the in the beer garden and i could have sat on any one of probably many Tables and chairs in that garden, and talk to any one of those people, you know. And I just happened to sit next to a guy called Skip. I, I, I can't tell you how, why. There was probably just a spare seat. Sat next to him, got chatting to to him, and you know. Uh, and it turned out, you know, through tap- chatting that we actually lived very close together. We you know to put into context, this this race was probably about a four hour drive from uh, where I live, so. Mm-hmm. I know in the US, that's probably next door, but um, you know, it, for us in the UK, um, that's, you know, a, it's a I mean, that's a
0: decent drive. Yeah. That's a decent yeah. drive. Yeah. 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 That's, so, that's a yeah, nice and, morning commute. Yeah, exactly. And
1: it turned out that you know, Skip lived 20, 30 minutes away from where I lived. And he had a lake and he had a paddleboard club. Uh, he did mountain bike guiding and instruction in the, in the Surrey Hills. He had a, a lake where they, he was just starting his business, uh, the Shack, the Surrey Hills Adventure uh, Company. And I thought, like, wow, this is great. And he's you know, and he's like, no, you should come, you know, when we get back, you know, in the next few weeks, come down, you know, come down, say hi, have a look at the spot and see if you want to come paddleboarding, you know. We've got a nice little small crew that go out on the lake. So that was the start of a chain of events. The actual race itself was inconsequential. When I, mean, I think the 2K paddle I did on my sub surfboard across a lake, you know, like if you look, I think from memory, if you look at my GPS track, it looked like I was probably still drunk because it was uh... a... <laughs> it wasn't a straight line uh, but I, I will continue to blame the uh, surfboard yeah did the, did the event drove home and a few days later thought ah, you know I'll give Skip a call and let me pop along and see what this place is like and um with this amazing little location we've got it's a you know a nice big sand quarry that's filled in it's a huge lake very beautiful it took 20 minutes from my house met Skip and more of the, the crew as it were from the area all lovely people and you know still paddleboarding wasn't really a it was growing, but as it still is. But you know, it was a hodgepodge of kit and boards and paddles and people of all different levels and abilities, just out you know paddling. And that's kind of like where I think it started becoming more of an interesting thing to do because I found a, a community. And I think with anything like sport, you know, when you when you can combine a sport that you have an interest in or something that's good for you, and you add that community layer, mm-hmm. I, I think that's when, that's when the magic starts
0: to happen. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. With any adventure, hydration is very important. I've been on so many trips where I've been dehydrated or couldn't stay hydrated enough. An element helps anyone including especially adventurers, stay hydrated. Without the sugar and other dodgy ingredients found in, in popular electrolyte and sports drinks, you don't want to have cramps and headaches and fatigue and brain fog or weakness on trips, whether that's training or out on the adventure itself. And having the ability to have something like Element there is so important. Element is a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix free of all the sugar and artificial coloring. Element was developed by former research biochemist Rob Wolf, two times New York Times bestselling author, and one of the Navy SEAL Resiliency Committee members for over a decade. From Olympic athletes, to special forces, to health experts, to business leaders, to everyday health, Element is their go-to choice for hydration. Our listeners can receive a free Element sample pack with any order, when you go to drinkelement.com slash adventure sports. That's drinkelement.com slash adventure sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, give it away to a friend and they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. I've been using it on rides and paddles lately and I'm really enjoying it. Element, stay salty. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So what what were you what did you feel like you got out of paddleboarding that you maybe didn't get out of some of the other sp- things you were doing cuz it is a you know it's a slow pace, you know what i mean? It, it it's hiking on the water. You're just going yeah. at the speed of walking more or less.
1: I I think initially for me what made me, it was the community. was getting out of people and not feeling like you are like if you go to the gym, if you go out for a run, it's a very conscious thing you're doing and you're you know you're always aware that you're pushing yourself at the time where with something like paddleboarding at the time you could get lost in the moment you know you could just has been some amazing locations and I realized just how beautiful our country was and how much access to waterways we had and so that was you know the community the being out in the fresh air being active without necessarily feeling like you're active and it worked really well with my recovery and my rehab it worked really well with it complemented the gym you know I was in the gym lifting heavy weights and then my you know my kind of like my zone two cardio type stuff was done in fresh air um and you know i love challenges i love i'm a very competitive person you know we started doing night paddles like and i loved that you know like people are, oh why how can you paddling in the winter oh, oh it's dark why you know don't we stop now and i was like no why would you you know so seeds were starting to be planted there and i think it's because of the whole diversity it was only it was, every time you looked there was something new to try and discover.
0: You meet this guy, Skip, and you get in this community, and then all of a sudden, I don't know where along the lines y'all had this absolutely crazy idea of paddleboarding a thousand miles in Alaska and the <laughs> Yukon <laughs> Territory. T- take me through kind of the stepping stones of that, because it doesn't, it you, you jump over a few stones, in my opinion. I mean, it,
1: it, yeah, because yeah, it like, sounds like the... Because yeah, the
0: way you're up. talking, it's like, yeah, mellowing it out, but then yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, you ramp it up to the one of the craziest adventures I've ever heard.
1: So, found the community of paddling, and we had a UK um, club SUP series. It was a sub, it was a race um, at Bray Lake in the UK where you could go to this lake and clubs would compete with each other, get points to win, you know, prizes for their club. And skip, I think skip's like, yeah, you know, we should do this. Do you fancy being the team manager? You, you're a great organizing. You love all the organization and, and logistics. Yeah, so I kind of yeah, great, this this looks quite interesting. So we pulled together a, a team and we went to this race. And I thought, oh god, you can do racing. This is quite interesting. Oh look at those boards, they're interesting. I've not seen some of these, you know. And there's me racing around on a surf. So I entered the surfs up race. So it's a flat water lake. And there's like, I think there's like six of us like wibbling around on surfs ups, trying to outdo each other, being overtaken by these 14-foot race boards. Um, But I I kind of like, well, this is quite interesting. You can race and I'm competitive. This is, you know, so you start thinking, oh, this what else can we do? And where else can we go with this? And I I honestly think there's probably a few stages that I'm going to jump over, but it happened very quickly. But Skip and I, we'd gone out for a paddle together on one of the local canals, an hour paddle, finishing at a country pub. Generally was the pattern, (laughs) which maybe is why we liked it. I remember we were at this country pub and we were talking about the racing and, what you know, we could maybe go and try next year, and this is this is in two thousand and nineteen now. So there was a couple of years we doing it, so a couple of years spent doing not very much. And I think we were like, wouldn't it be really cool to do a multi day, some kind of adventure race, something that, or something you know, an expedition? And to put into context, I have zero bushcraft, zero camping, zero outdoors experience. I mean, I, I was in, I was in the I was in the Cubs when I was like six, and I, I was in the Air Cadets in the UK, so I. I think I'd slept under a hammock twice and smell of a smoky fire once. Uh, that's my level, but Skip, to, to put it, was very different. So Skip, you know, ran a bushcraft company, an outdoors activity centre. So I think, you know, the, he was an outdoors person. You know, he loves the outdoors. He lives and breathes the outdoors. He's a, he was a scout, scout leader uh, at the time. Um, his whole background and youth was scout. So he had that side. So I think he probably led the conversation unknowingly, to like oh you know we could do some outdoor adventures you know you can we could maybe look at this overnighters maybe we start looking because there's not long waterways in the uk necessarily it's tidal in places and it's quite there's not many places you can go for a multi-day like you can in the u.s or canada so i think there was some kind of google searching of like what what could we do what you know what where's a place where we can go do a multi-day and i just remember and i know looking back you try to remember how it was and not change the story but Something popped up. It was the Yukon River Quest, um, and for the listeners, I'm sure many of your listeners. It's in, a, in the Yukon. It's a 715 kilometers um, race from Whitehorse to Dawson in the Yukon. It's it's a supported race. Uh, it's you know, but it's uh, a grueling, grueling race for canoes, kayaks, uh, Voyager canoes, and paddleboards. And that popped up, and I. And I that, what the hell is that? Look, 715 kilometers. Well, that's not for us, is it? You know, we, we've just got out and done three kilometers to the pub and that was hard enough. And I remember, I just remember the tagline on the website. It may still be the tagline now. It says it's like the second longest paddle race in the world. Uh, you know, if, you could, if this was a video chat and you could see what my, my eyes just glinted. And I remember this being like, well, that's the second longest. You know, what's the longest? So, you know, Google, you know, longest paddleboard race in the world. It wasn't paddleboard paddle race. They could it. It was not for SUPs. It was you know, just paddle race, and there popped up the the Yukon One Thousand. Um, you know, a thousand miles. So that's miles. So that's sixteen hundred kilometers. Unsupported paddle survival race in the U- from the Yukon Whitehorse, but past Dawson into the Arctic Circle, crossing into Alaska, finishing it only the second bridge in a thousand miles. By the the bridge is only there to support the Alaskan pipeline, and we're like, "Oh, well, this is interesting. Look at that!" You know, not not as an in interesting. Let's do it. Interesting as in like, who the hell does these kind of things? <laughs> the conversation slipped from "Let's look at something we can do" to "Let's just Google out." You know, the rabbit hole of Google, as I know we've all go down. You know, you start on one thing and you you wonder how you got somewhere. But also, there was a little bit that said applications for 2020 now open, mm. uh, and this is the summer of 2019. As legend has it, <laughs> we sat in the pub and we thought should we apply? And I think there was a, probably a bit of beer bravado,
0: <laughs> liquid courage, as we call it. Liquid courage, yeah,
1: liquid. Absolutely. We, um, I think, we both went home our separate ways because was like a form. It's quite a detailed form for memory yet to fill in, and it was like, you know, like your name, what's your experience, what's your background, you know, why should we, you know, what have you done, what would you do to kind of make sure that you could complete this race there's all this stuff and i was just like so skip probably went off and did his and you know he's scout leader for 20 30 years runs an outdoor bushcraft company you know like hasn't done anything really like um ultra endurance and i think at the time he may have crawled a marathon and he actually went for the world record for walking backwards when he was in his late teens (laughs) it's quite a funny story it's a separate story um but i remember sitting there filling this form in and like i've done nothing I thought I think I may have even joked, you know. I was in the scout, I was in the Cubs when I was younger. <laughs> was um, um I, I honestly, I think I said the the the, the biggest ultra, the biggest kind of push I've done is a a half marathon. But I think what I did was something. Obviously, did stir inside me because there's a bit where you put what you would do if you were accepted for the race. What would you? And I think I put a very sincere, like you know, if I if I was accepted for this race you know the next nine months i would spend cross skilling skilling up learning studying doing everything i needed You know, i would not you know it was along the lines of i would never put myself in a position where i would let down my partner on such a, a race or let down my family and friends so i would do whatever it took and i'm a very determined person in all walks of life to do something once i set my mind it was something along those lines to, to, to paraphrase and I mean, I think they said that they had over 2,000 applications that year for 40 slots, that's four zero, Um, of which at the time, there was only five of those were for paddleboard teams. Um, and we, we sent the forms off and, to be honest, forgot all about it. Just like, I think, I didn't even tell my family or anything. I didn't say anything. I was just like, you know, you know kind of, just kind of forgot about it and went on a summer holiday a couple of weeks later and uh, laying by the pool at, uh, you know, quarter midday with a beer in hand and just got a text message through or I think it was an email through and I had my Apple watch on so you could see a preview I mean I always remember this and mm. I kind of looked, wa- looked at my watch and I just saw there was enough of the preview that just said uh, Yukon race decision and it just said accepted and I can remember like it, it felt like my whole life had been kind of like uh, you know it was just I didn't know that the kind of like what that really meant and obviously, we could have said no. It wasn't like we were committed to anything, but it was just a moment of sheer panic and also strange endorphin excitement. It's amazing how your body can produce all these kind of chemical reactions to, to natural things. And it was, I remember it being an amazing just feeling of like terror mixed in with jubilation uh, just from seeing those three lines on a Apple Watch screen.
0: I gotta ask this: what what did what did your family think when when you said I'm, I, I want to do this, and I and I'm accepted?
1: Uh, well, as as most blokes do, we played it down and made out that it was just uh, okay. I'd be honest, Mason as well. I didn't even know really where the Yukon was.
0: <laughs> Mo- I'm sure most Canadians don't know.
1: Uh, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I knew that it was in a Canada area. Um, so, and I remember the uh, the promo video the, the, that they had talked about like the risk of life and death and people will die so i thought best not show them that (laughs) that's probably not the best way so i think it probably over dinner i just kind of like you know in the small talk was oh you know skip and i might go and do a race next year in in canada um and yeah do you mind i might be away for a you know i haven't worked the details yet yeah i'll be honest it was definitely a play it down skip and i had a quick call and we were like look do we actually really want to do this? We can back out now. There's no, you know, we're not gonna lose face. No one knows. You know, we're not, you know, we've not gone out telling everyone we're applying and then turning it down. So we told the organizers, look, can you give it can you give us like a few weeks? Give us a few weeks to to come back to you. You know, we've got to work out money, family. You know, jo- you know, I joke about it, but I did have to think about friends and family, work, what was really involved, had to, like to had I really understood the the gravity of the event and what it would mean. So and skip an Idea, I ideas spend a lot of time talking. So we kind of put the acceptance on the back burner i i probably did play it down with the family i certainly didn't share too much with them because you know i didn't want them over worrying while i was trying to work through something in my own head you know i've got to deal with that side once i once i'm sorted i'll then this is just we knew nothing about the race the area the region nothing so i was like right so i got my super calculator out and was like right you've got to do a thousand miles you've got to do it in a 10-day cutoff so, for those of you that don't know about the Yukon 1000, I mean, it is a thousand-mile race. It is um, only goes past one or two main settlements. It's unsupported, so everything you need for survival goes with you. There's no resupplies. There's no safety boats. There's no one out in on the river. You have, you can have no external help. So there's no external communications. You know, you can't have any two-way. You have a sat phone in a tamper-proof bag that is there for you to basically call for rescue when you break that tamper proof bag you are out of the race really yeah absolutely wow. so unless there's a unless there's a very good reason like you you might have helped another, you might be helping another team or you might have a very serious mm-hmm. you are allowed no outside help you see nobody there's no one that lives up there it's just trapped round you know it's this it's just all bears you know it's bear country and grizzly bears too grizzly bears you know and obviously being in the uk the biggest thing i have to worry about is rabbits and squirrels <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so I park, I park the wildlife for a second, but, you know, so in my head, I'm like, right. And, and the important thing is, it's a 10 day cutoff. You know, if you don't finish it within 10 days, the organizers leave the finish line. When you get there, no one's there waiting for you. And you beg a, a, a passing trucker, you hope to take you to the nearest town. So you're like, right. 10 days, a thousand miles. Oh, well, that's the other thing. Like you, you can paddle up to 18 hours a day. So you have to have, there's a mandatory six hour stop and you can choose when you take that, as long as it's between the hours of, you can, between 10, at, 10 o'clock at night and midnight, you can start your six hour mandatory stop. And, you know, so the reason there's a window is you're not always gonna find a safe place to stop. So yeah, you know, around 10, 10.30 at night, you start looking for a, a place to camp. And then once you stop, you make sure it's safe. And then you start your six hours. So, you know, in my head, you're like, right, 10 days, 18 hours 180 hours of paddling um thousand miles do the calculations that's what our average kilometer or miles per hour needs to be you know that so that's how we did it we weren't that cool and i can't remember what it was it was something like i mean seven seven and a half kilometers an hour at this point i don't know I, but at this point i had no idea what that meant mm-hmm. because i didn't do any racing so I, I had that number was arbitrary to me at the time so we we met on our local canal for a, we thought let's go and do a training paddle see how close we get to that and work out whether it's realistic that we could train ourselves to if we're not on it you know so we we went in the summer to this canal and <laughs> like i got photos and video and like i'm wearing some board shorts it was pouring of rain but it was warm i got board shorts a ski jacket ski gloves and it went terrible i think we averaged maybe four and a half kilometers an hour
0: and were you working to get that like you were you were trying, right? Uh,
1: if I if that, it like we were trying and I like I was dehydrated, so I cramped up massively. We, we we paddled for maybe three and a half hours. Um, I had stomach cramp, I think skip at one point when we finished the, when we finished paddling, he had to lift my board out of the water. I had that whole claw cramp of the hands, my core was cramping. I think at one point he nearly had to get me undressed because I couldn't lean down to get my socks off. And it, we've got it all this on camera, it's hilarious. And like you would think as all sane people would at that moment say, nah, this ain't for us. (laughs) You know, this is, you know, that was fun. But like the complete opposite happened. And we were just both like, we've got a benchmark of where we are at now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) everyone needs a starting point. You know, we know where we're at. We know kind of like we've got some time to to work on it. And we, the next day we said, yes, count us in, we're in. (laughs) I think I remember... Tramp stopped, got in the car, drove back. And there was just something, I think there's, there's some, there was something about the race. There was something about anticipation of what we were about to try and the journey we were about to go on that was just overwhelming. The common sense of you guys are not right for this. You know, like this is not your bag. Go and do a few other races first. Don't go for the longest paddle race in the world as your first attempt at doing anything beyond a half marathon run. <laughs>
0: Man, I love it. I absolutely love it. It is so wild out there. I mean, the Yukon and then go from there to literally the Arctic Circle in Alaska. There's very few places on earth as wild as that or as remote as that, and is frankly dangerous were were you was some of the logic too like okay, the river will be moving pretty quick to help us make up that time? Was that being calculated too did you, Did you have any right. idea what that would be?
1: So this is great. So when we, hands on heart, when we did the training paddle, we didn't know the river had much flow. Okay. So when we, did four, when we did four and a half kilometers an hour, we thought we're going to have to really sort this out and work out. It. So how would we find an extra three kilometers an hour and do that for 10 days with all the gear? But then what we did is obviously once we said yes, we obviously reached out to previous races and started doing a lot more online research. And back then, I think paddle boards had only done it. There's only about six people that had done it on paddle boards at the time, I think. And it was Bart uh, Zavart uh, who had done it in 2018. We skip had a contact with him and he was the first person that was like, look, you know, the river's got flow, you know, it changes throughout, but it's got flow. Sometimes the wind will be in your face and you'll feel like you're standing still, but, you know, you are moving. And his, I always remember, I've got his email still, and he was just like, if you stay on the water for 18 hours a day and do not come off for any reason whatsoever, you could, it's, it's achievable. You know, you've just got to just keep doing it. So when you start looking at the flow, I mean, there's not always flow, and depending on what the river levels are each year, it changes. But there was this amazing few months of discovery of a region I'd never heard of a few months beforehand. Um, The other thing is you have to make your own maps. No maps exist for the region because the ice melt means that it changes every year. You have to make your own maps. You're ordering these hand-drawn maps that were drawn in the 80s, and they come over to you on this like ring-bound book uh, from a bookstore in Yukon is the only place you can get them from. And, you're, and it's like hand-drawn scribbles. And then you're, you're combining that with Google Earth stuff, which half of it, the Google satellite, obviously went over in the winter. So it's just white. The more, particularly me, I think, because I've got that kind of analytical, I love that whole kind of research planning. I start reading every book you've got under the sun that had the word Yukon in it. And I would just report that, I'd just bite-size it for skip. You know, I'd spend days and days, and then be like, "Okay, skip." Here's a bullet point list of things you need to know. He, you know, his skills were going to come in 1st date, day—the bushcraft, uh, survival side of things. So, so yeah. So there was a you know, a big, and we started going out for longer paddles. We got some sponsors on to for kits. We got some better boards, um, and you know, within a few months, we were going out doing you know, sort of seven, eight, nine-hour paddles, and really only stopping because the rivers around here had no more distance on them. You know, we were, hit, we were done and they're tidal. So you couldn't always, you couldn't just go up and down them. So, so by Christmas 2019, like, you know, we turned from 45 minute cramping, four kilometer an hour, nobody's in the ski gear to going out and doing respectable seven, eight hour paddles with a little bit of knowledge about the rivers and some of the things we might have to, to deal with.
0: In preparation, what, what were some of your biggest fears? So
1: the overarching one was, I can't remember where I read it, somewhere. The, the, the race organiser, John, was always, I can't remember where he said it or something, but it was like, it was real risk to life. You know, there there is real risk to life. You know, the, he's a, an army guy. You know, a lot of ex-military or serving military do this race. They are very uh, used to working at, in an environment where there's risk to life. It's part of their day job. Like this, So, but for a, a guy that lives on the south coast, uh, the worst he's done is tore his MCL um, and had someone patch him up and the, the the thought of someone having to sign when you're signing documents where it's just matter of fact the risk to life who's your next kid how do you you know what do we do you know your sat phone is basically for repatriation if your mate gets killed when something like that you know it's like again it's a strange also excitement because half is like what am I doing why am I doing this? I don't need to do this I'm not doing this to prove anything but the other half is like this is pretty cool isn't it this is great <laughs> um so so I think the biggest fears were just the overarching Risk to life, making sure that I was comfortable, that I understood those risks. You know, I'm not stupid. I wasn't going to chuck myself into something that was going to end in me ending. <laughs> but I also doesn't don't come from a background where I could necessarily truly understand what I was letting myself in for. So I think that was the overarching risk for me. Uh, and then the wildlife was a big thing. Again, we don't really have to deal with wildlife in the UK. You know, we don't have grizzly bears, wolves. Um, you know all these things and you can of course you try to read about them to learn but of course what you hear is bad stuff so you start to try and keep a very practical head on yourself and understand that actually you know it's a beautiful place to go and it's amazing to have the opportunity to see you know one of the earth's final frontiers Uh, but with that comes you know there is no safety blanket there is no there's no one going to pull you out particularly once you go past the halfway point. Dawson, you can pull out of Dawson, the halfway spot where the River Quest ends. It's got an airport, there's buses back to Whitehorse. To that point, you've not seen anything. But once you get to Dawson, I think there's about like a thousand people that live there or something in the summer. But like, you can get to Dawson and you can be like, "Do you know what, this is not for us. And you could just happily pull out. But Once you go past Dawson, there is no way out other than the finish line or a bush plane or a helicopter when a, an emergency action plan gets put into place. And that's only going to happen because... Uh, You or your mates died or had some serious injury or something's gone very badly wrong. And I think that the fear there is like you start, you have to war game everything. You know, you have to think there's no point in pretending that stuff can't go wrong. You know, there's no point in blinkering and closing your eyes. You have to say, okay, what are the potential risks? And then what can we do to either mitigate them? Well, mitigate obviously is primary. What can we do to avoid that happening? But then also what can we do if that does happen? You know, like, what what would we do and i think it's a very humbling thing but it also these are incredible life skills dealing with stress you know we did we went on an amazing four-day advanced bushcraft survival more like a, it was um wreck level four which is like rescue and emergency care um and it's like a four-day real practical like this is not the kind of like st john's ambulance first aid first aid at work john, john got his hand stuck in the photocopier kind of stuff this is like you and your mate have had a fight with a bear he's he's got bump, blood pumping out of his arteries and you haven't how are you going to deal with it it was that kind of <laughs> stuff you know and it was amazing because you're doing this stuff and you're thinking wow i'm learning all these you know and it, this race never happened or i never make it i've still learned all this amazingly cool stuff so uh, i know that's been a long-winded answer but i think the biggest fears were you know, just the risk to life of things that we had no idea what that what that could be and things like wildlife uh, is obviously a big one for anyone that's not perhaps a, an outdoor Canadian, American, uh, we looked at, gu- this is quite funny, we um, were saying, skip. should we get a gun? <laughs> you know? uh, in the air cadets, I used to shoot guns, Skip, you know, in a, in a shooting range, you know, and I was like, so I even started Googling, like, doing my shot, doing a gun license in the UK to be able to buy a gun and, you know, and then you're like, I think it was probably John, the organiser, was like, we're probably going to be more of a risk to each other if we've got a gun floating around between us and then you're crossing a border with a gun. It's an unmanned border, So you're basically then got illegal firearms and so you're ditching guns. And it's just like, and and what you're going to do, you're going to shoot the bear and piss him off. So, you know, you're going for these things like, you know, do I need a gun and all that stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a really, everything we looked at made me more excited and nervous at the same time, but there's just something that just kept us, kept us in it.
0: I can't stress just how crazy this seems, man. And I I know that was probably settling in. Was, Was there a moment early on that was like a, welcome, welcome to Yukon moment or welcome to the last frontier where it was like, okay, this is, this is what we've gotten ourselves into. We'd be here
1: for four days. If I went through exactly what happened from that moment, but I'm going to really try and condense this into, um, a very quick thing. So come March, 2020, we're, the race was in July, 2020 at this point, we've got kit. We've started booking flights, uh, our fitness levels are up, uh, you know, We'd, we'd learned a lot when mapping was done kind of like it was getting really real. And we we're really like, okay, no, I, I had this confidence starting to build in what well, both of us had this confidence building. And I said, you know, why why couldn't two guys from the UK go and do this, you know, and we we're on the right trajectory. And then of course what happened uh, in 2020 happened. Well, comes to a stop. Obviously the race was canceled in 2020. Uh, and that was an interesting time because, you know, You've been building up, building up, building up, and then it was pulled away from us. But we, we kept, we kept up, we kept training, and we were like, you know, because at the time, you know, no one, everyone, this was going to be a three or four week blip in the in the world, and pretty much soon knew that twenty twenty wasn't going to happen. But twenty twenty one, yeah, okay, we've got a, you know, we've got an extra year to train. I think we made a little video, and we're like, okay, cool, you know, is what it is, you know, we've got another twelve months, and then December twenty twenty, I think the, the race organizers were like. 2021's cancelled as well you know the the world's not really opening up travel's still difficult anyway and you know with you guys are traveling to part of the world that's not had this virus it's not you know it's like it's just just, it's just not going to happen and that was really hard particularly to skip um because you know it's a very it's very tight it's very draw it's very um uh draining on your mindset obviously without what else is going on in the world you're trying to keep your businesses going you know you've got family and loved ones that are getting ill and you you know it's a very unsettling time and you've got this thing that you were so excited for that keeps getting put on the back burner and again we could have pulled out i think i we could have pulled out in summer of 2019 when i cramped up after half an hour and eating half banana we could have pulled out in march 2020 when covid hit and the race was postponed we could have pulled out in 2021 when the race was postponed again and things were really starting to take their toll on us we could have but we didn't. We got to 2021, so 2022 and the race was on, you know, it's happening. The world's starting to open up. You know, there was still things we had to consider around traveling with COVID and, and bits and pieces. But so the answer to your question, was there a moment? There was because we got on a flight and we flew out with all our gear to Whitehorse, um, in the summer of 2022 and it was happening. You know, it was like, this is really it. And I remember I'd spent three years studying maps. Whether you're not, you've had of Parkinson's law, you know, know, the human ability to fill the amount of time you've got to do a task. So if I say you've got six months to prepare for the Yukon 1000, you will take five months, three weeks and six days to do it. If I say you've got five years to prepare for the Yukon 1000, you will take four years, 11 months and 30 days to do exactly the same. You know, we have an amazing ability to fill time. I felt I knew that river before I'd even seen it because I'd studied maps. I'd been, you know, like, it felt like something like, I felt close to it. I felt like I knew where I was going, having never set foot in the Yukon. And I remember flying, you know, flying over on a smaller plane over the Yukon for the first time, seeing the river out the window. I was like, wow, look at that. And look how vast this space is. And I remember we landed in Whitehorse and a few days before the race and we, it was midnight and the sun was up, you know, and we walked down to the river. And we saw the river for the very first time and I couldn't tell you what it felt like to see it. And the tough thing that year was, it was a high water year. It was one of the second year in a row, they had a one in a hundred year flood. So that river was moving. You've never seen it move. You've, it was like light speed. It was the most scary, powerful, show raw emotion. And we were both like, we've never been on water that fast.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was freezing cold. Uh, we didn't get, we
1: just we looked at it from the bank and got bitten by mosquitoes, the size of aircraft. Um, <laughs> it was like, wow. What and that were was you so, thinking
0: then? What were you thinking? Like, what did we just sign up for? I
1: think, I think honestly, in hindsight, we both admit to each other. We were thinking yeah, the F word. We were like, no, we didn't say it to each other. But you, I think you can see on our faces.
0: That, like, you're we're about to willingly stand on that water for a thousand miles, a thousand miles with, with no help, no backup, no support. Yeah, no and now. only no getting backup. farther away from, from all that yeah. from help and backup and support.
1: And, and some of you, if, if any of your listeners are still listening to me at this point, <laughs> will say, Well, hang on a second, you said 2022, but it's now 2024. So, what happened? And, well, basically we spent a couple of days before the race running around the the, the stores, department stores, buying all the stuff we didn't need. That's the other thing you do. You bump into loads of other races in the shops, you know, we're all going into department stores, buying stuff you can't fly with and buying kit. You probably don't need. Um, I started feeling a little bit rough, putting it down to travel. um, But it felt like I'd been sucker punched. My arms were heavy. My legs were heavy, kept on putting it down to stress and the worry of the race. Um, and to cut uh, an exceedingly annoyingly long story short, uh, the day before the race, uh, I did a test and I had I had COVID. I'd never had COVID before. I'd never had COVID since. And I got it for the first and only time a day before the race start in 2022. Um, and I'd had it bad. I mean, I couldn't move. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was like I was in bed with the sweats. And this was also a time when it was still not really socially acceptable. There's still p- people that didn't want travel to open up. So it was not like, you know, and and the biggest thing was we were about to go to a part of the world where this has not gone. You know, there are small communities. There are, that's why we didn't go for two years, you know, and I had to make a decision. I wasn't going to be the, I wasn't going to put other people at risk by taking something a thousand miles up the river or or risk, you know, skip getting, getting it as well, you know, two days into the race or, so we, we, we scratched, we pulled out. I could hear the river from my hotel room. You know, I could see it. I had all my gear there. I you know. Um, and yeah.
0: So, did you have to quarantine right there?
1: Technically. Well, obviously, I couldn't fly because there's a like, it was like a five million pound fine yeah. if you were flying. So, I didn't fly. Um, there were quarantine hotels still in Canada at the time. So, uh, we kept on the QT. Skip got his own room in the hotel. I stayed in the hotel room on my own, stayed in. He would like deliver packages to my door, knock and run. And I spent like four days in a hotel. And then there's a whole long story about things happen for a reason, no, not happen for a reason, but like, you can always find the good in something. There's always, you could, don't get me wrong. It was the most horrific time, you know, to skip. I mean, like I was ill, I was in bed sweating. He had to walk around and see everyone, went and saw everyone leave the start line. You know, he had to go through all that. He had a tougher time than I did. You know, I was getting the sympathy from back home, you know, and getting the parcel deliveries from him outside my door
0: yeah skip
1: has a habit of making friends just like we did on that that bench in the pub garden in in 2017 he got talking to one of the canoe teams uh glenn and maureen from ontario mm-hmm. absolutely legends doing it in a canoe and they were like he's a first nation are first nations he was like hey you know we've got a truck fancy getting it to the finish line to meet us because we haven't quite worked out how we're going to get it there yet so we went on an adventure Four or five days after the race start, I, you know, we were like, "Look, like, I've still got it, but I'm feeling better." We're not going to go into any. We're not going to see people. We're not going to hotel. You know, there's no hotel. You know, we've we've got all our camping gear. We've got all our food. You know, you know, we're going to go in this truck, all kitted out for. You know, the roads in that part. There's, there's only two roads basically. One goes left, and one goes right, and the potholes are the size of you know. It's but this this truck was designed for those roads, um, and we spent seven eight days in the Yukon and Alaska. So meandering our way up the, the road that only goes near the river twice so it's not like you're following the race but yeah you're... and we got to the finish line and we had a, an adventure we got to see alaska we got to paddle on we you know we found some lakes random lakes and we would stop the car we had the boards pumped up on the roof i mean i could hardly you know i was paddling like three four hundred meters i was out of breath i was everything hurt but i just wanted to get on the water we got used to camping in the wild in bear country and just getting a feel for that and we got to the finish line and we we watched and we waited for every single team to come in. And that was the hardest thing and the best thing we've ever done. You know, mm. we could have easily have not and gone home. But like, you know, we stayed there and we watched everyone come in. And I remember we hadn't even talked about whether we'd go back in 2023. It was just like, it was this kind of cloud in our heads, of like what's going to happen? And anyway, we, at the finish line, I... I made a promise to myself that like I was going to be back at that finish line, but I would only get there by the water. I picked up a random stone off the finish line beach and stuck it in my pocket and
0: I put it back there this year. I did not know that that, I knew that it was canceled due to COVID. I didn't know you went, got yeah. COVID and then just yeah, basically so. stayed in the, the back country until it so. got better. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system. Shopify has got you covered. Now I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. And it makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you wanna grow, grow they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash asp all lowercase again go to shopify.com slash asp to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash asp Rodeo season is gonna be kicking off soon and you know, I I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo, I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities. And I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company. And if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making and they carry forward all those time honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they're innovative on comfort, style and service. They have Western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tacovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tacovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's tacovis t e c o v a s.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year, balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to Nerdwallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: So, anyone that's keeping track, that's another good reason why we could have pulled out, but we didn't. So that's about five different
0: times. Gosh, opportunity yeah, take. it's almost like out of out of taking the sign at this point. Like yeah. it is. I mean, there me. is that,
1: and like also, it was an ultra endurance event. Just getting to the damn race, and that maybe oh. for someone.
0: So, yeah, just getting to it's hard enough. Apparently, I mean, y'all y'all could got there and then had setbacks. So. That's really cool. I, I, man, how, what did you think about Alaska? Because you got to go a lot more places than you would have otherwise. Wow.
1: Wow. You know, like chicken. Look up chicken. Yes. Oh, what? I
0: know. I know oh, all about chicken. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like what? Three people live there in the winter yeah. and like 20 in the summer. And like there's a row of shops, shop fronts. And like you don't realize it there's a part. There's basically you go into this souvenir shop and ring a bell and the lady serves you. Then you go next door and you ring a bell and the same lady runs around the back and comes in and serves you. <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> We went to you know we went to Dawson and we did the sour tow you know we did you know those things and we saw the river we went to Five Finger Rapids you know we saw the rapids uh, we saw parts of the river where we could so we got we basically but what we did do what that did you know I like to think we're both very positive people and no matter how hard that was what we did do is confirm that our planning and our prep was on point everything we had planned our kit everything would have been right our mapping was right you know I the, the teams that finished were like yeah you guys the maps that you showed up." It, it kind of just, we had done everything right. Then we got back and yeah, we, uh, skip was, took a bit longer than I did to come around to it, but we committed again to 2023.
0: Wow. Better prepared. And you, and you ended up finishing in 2023. I think, I think you, I don't know, you probably got a lot of the jitters out of the system.
1: Uh, mate, to be honest, like I, it was, I've never been so positively. So when we flew out this, this 2023, it, the feeling was so different, you know, we got there it was exciting to see the river again it wasn't as high so it didn't look as scary but to be honest it, it just looked it was amazing and we both could not wait to get on that river yeah um and our good friends glenn and maureen who lent us the truck drove they did an eleven thousand kilometer round trip from ontario they drove to whitehorse they met us there and they it's an unsupported race so you can't have support but they met us there just to help us the week before with logistics you know they would they took our balls to the start line. They made sure all our kit was ready for the start. But then they also then drove and met us at the finish line, like we had done for them, so they could drive us back to the start again. They were there in spirit. Um, They just wanted to see us complete this adventure as well. And there was a massive feeling of we were being followed by all the people that we should have been there with in 2022. There was this whole, you felt this whole kind of wave of support around the world for us to, to go out and do it um so on the start line there was this very very i'm not a spirit i'm not a uh, religious or spirit but it was just something very special and it's like i can remember just every, all the senses the, the spider senses were tingling and you know the, the, the noise the smell glenn uh first nations he gave a first nation blessing and i remember we got on the water uh heidi a canoeist firm. Who did it in 2022? We got good friends with. She met us there as well. She was. Um, she gave us these uh, little uh, bracelets with uh, Sisu, S U, S U, S S I S U. If you look it up, it's a fantastic thing about ch- challenges and adversity. And she gave us that on the start line, and the words there meant so much to me and Skip. And we just couldn't wait to get the paddle wet, you know. And we had the blessing. Five second countdown went. It's the most anticlimactic start to any race you'll ever see because a thousand mile race isn't going to be won in the first 20 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the whistle goes and you ponder your way in, down to the start line, you get on your board and you think, all you're thinking is don't fall in now, Craig. You know, there's there's people watching like you know, that. It just set you off on the wrong, you know, trajectory. You get on, get paddle out. You know, You can see the float. You're in like an eddy where you start, you paddle out, you get in the flow and then you're like, we're doing this, man. You know, I remember skipping over. We're off. Here we go. You know, and it was like a a really like this is it. You know, this is what this is what these four or five. This is all been for this moment, and it's all been worth the wait. It's all been worth it. It's ha- it happened for a reason, and we're now going to show. You know, we're now going to prove that this is why it happened. You know, this is why wow. all those things.
0: You know, what is it? Four yeah. years in the making. Yeah, it's, right.
1: Uh, August twenty ninth. Yes, yeah, so it's yeah, uh, uh, three years, eleven months.
0: Jeez. You were ready.
1: We were we were more than ready.
0: What was what was different about Alaska from the river than from the road and seeing seeing what you saw there versus versus this time around?
1: I mean everything. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. I mean when I say that, so you, you know, you get on the river the first 30 kilometers, you know, you're meandering your way out of civilization, but there's there's civilization, you know, There's a you know, you're passing some canoes, you know, there's a few sweet little river plains. You get onto Lake Labarge, which is, you know, there's a saying of, you know, in the, in the River Quest, make the lake, make the race. You know, that, if that, mm. it's a, I think, what, 60 kilometer 60, 70 kilometer uh, lake can have its own microclimate. You know, it can either have a nice little tailwind, but it can then kick up a storm with, you know, three, four foot waves coming at you cross shore. Um, you know, so it's the biggest concern for the organizers. You know, they're like, well, it's one of the biggest concerns, not the, Um, you have to stick to the right of the lake because that's where things go south. You can get off and at least wait it out because you've got banks and stuff. The the left-hand side is cliff faces. But we, again, we were very lucky. We got onto the lake. Uh, It was glass pretty, pretty much. You know, we had a very slight, you know, two mile an hour
0: tailwind, maybe. And you get onto that. We crossed that. I remember I, what is it like when the lake narrows back down? It, It seems to happen very suddenly. So that's the weirdest thing. So, like again,
1: you've got your maps you've made, you've got your GPS watch. You know, I know I've seen this in my dreams over and over. So, I'm, everything I saw was making sense. It was nothing. It was weird, a really weird feeling where it just looked like I. It was like I had it imprinted in my head, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, here we are. I know where we are now without even looking at the map. Oh, and later on in the river, going around corners, like, oh, I know where we are now. In the most anyway, so you're crossing the lake and you're coming to the end of the lake, and I remember we, like, it's a, the entry back into the river is, like, you're in, you're coming into the corner, and you, it's just a row of trees, and you're like, well, have we gone wrong? Like, where, and it's like, well, we're definitely at the end of the lake, because we can't carry on, and, and you know, I'm looking, you're, you're looking at my GPS, and it's like, well, we're there, and you're like, where, where is it? And then, you look at this tree line, and you just notice that there's a little, just dimp, you know, there's like a little, like, just like, you kind of, like, spit, and you kind of paddle over to it, and it's like a I don't know, five six meter oh, maybe 10 meter wide entrance to this like and it's like is that it is that is that the mighty yukon that goes for a thousand miles wow. into the bering sea you know to you turn into it and then obviously there's no flow on the lakes so it's a real slog you know it was a we did it when john the organizer was like pray get across that in 12 and a half at 12 12 and a half hours in total if from start to there we did it in 11 and a quarter so I knew that that was a good sign because I, we didn't have any benchmark of, you, know, you don't know if you're doing good or not because you don't know the conditions. But I remember John saying, get across it and under, get from start to the end of the lake in 12 and a half hours. And I, and like I said, we got across it in like 11, it's about 11 hours, 20, 11 and 20. And I was like, okay, we're good. This is good. This is a good sign. Mm-hmm. You get on. We hadn't seen the other sub team since the start. I, I promised myself not to pay attention to the other teams. Um, we ended up being in front off the start line and I made a point of not being competitive and looking back and we didn't look back until we got onto the lake and we were, we were like 10 K into the lake and I t- on a pu- perfectly clear day and I couldn't see another dot. So, wow. so we knew we were out in front. We knew we had quite a good lead. You turn into the river, the river flows and it's the most beautiful part of the river. The smell of alpine oh, forest.
0: Gosh. Oh, That's what I, I miss mean. the most is oh, the, smell. It's just, the smell. I mean, I,
1: uh, my family would tell, i've been on searching for a candle that replicates that. okay <laughs> i've got, one for, you. I've okay, got okay. one for you
0: juniper ridge i'll plug it here juniper ridge is a company Amazing. my wife bought me candles for christmas and it's all different pine trees and for in, oh. in, in in areas in the american west and i literally was smelling coastal pine this morning so I, oh i'll plug him but yeah i look for that that like that's what well, i that's what brings a tear to my eyes the smell absolutely you know and
1: you're on this river i and i remember it, it was it was it's like it's quite narrow there so it's moving far, you're, you're doing like you know 15 16 kilometers an hour and just the smells and the silence you got to remember like particularly me but skips we don't we're not adventurers this is not like another adventure to our list this is not like Oh, how does this compare to the time we, you know, walked from Peru to, you know, this is like, oh, this is a little bit different that canal we paddled on in Guildford in Surrey, where we had to dodge shopping trolleys that were being chucked at us by kids on the bridge. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, it's like, we're doing this. There's no reference. No. And the first night campsite, you know, we had a, I said campsite, you know, just while we, you know, we got to midnight, we went as far close to the calf as we could, found a probably one of the worst campsites we stayed on. It was all just it was just stones in like inch deep water. We managed to find a bit where there's enough sand to get the tents up. And this is a great comparison. Two Brits who have never had to do with wildlife, we're like, right, so we've pulled up our boards, we've made sure they're not going to float away. And we're standing there with bear spray each in one hand and a knife in the other. And yeah, exactly. And we're we're walking around and we're like looking for tracks and bear scat and we're oh is that and for those of you that may have not gone to the region there's animal prints everywhere because wow. they don't get they don't go until the ice till the ice comes they just get less prominent so actually you get off on and you look at a sandbar and you're like oh there's prints you know there's that's a moose print and then you see the size of a moose you see how big a moose is you know oh. they're probably yeah you know, they can walk through a tent and not know you're there then you start to realize that like, you have to learn that like is that fresh well, no, it's got, it's got sand in it. There's wind blowing blown into it. It's got soft edges. Uh, we were learning this on the fly. We, no one taught us this. So we, ne- we didn't know how to find the flow on a river because we don't have flow like that in the UK. So we were learning on the job. You know, every, we were skilling up. Every, every kilometre on that river felt like we were adding more skills to our, our skill bucket. They're you know, just learning how to read the river, where to paddle, you know, finding the flow, and then working out how, how did we find... We had speedos on our boards yeah, best tip i could ever give is have a speedo in your eyesight because you when you're on a river you it's parts where you think oh, i'm scooting along here and you Which speedo. Is
0: like this cycle computer or something you or a board well you
1: can get a ten dollar one off
0: amazon that, that anything but i had a like a garmin Fortrex. Yeah. it's not this small bathing suit speedos no, it's a, yeah so yeah sorry yeah
1: yeah, yeah uh, uh speed gauge um but like so day one i think it took us about 20 minutes to decide the campsite was safe by day six, I didn't even look for, tra- you know, it's like, unless there's a bear sitting there waving at us, I'm going to sleep. You know, it was, um, so yeah, so we, I, I, I don't know where we, so, so seeing it from the river was just the smells, the sights, the lack of noise, the noise, the, it was just, yeah, we embraced it. Wow.
0: No vehicles, you know, no sound of vehicles.
1: Oh, nothing, nothing. No no sound of vehicles, no people, no wow. signs of life, no, no artificial light pollution, You know, the only sounds were me and my partner and his terrible singing.
0: (laughs) How uh so the sunsets must have been amazing because they were prolonged.
1: It just sits, it kinda just particularly when you get further north, when you get up towards the Arctic Circle, it kind of just goes round. Yeah. And it's like and it goes behind like a mountain or a bit so it goes get cold in place, but it's still stay it's still light. And unlike, but it doesn't you
0: know, get low enough to almost cause that sunset effect, really, yeah, no, wow, it's just like, um, yeah, it's just incredible, you know, so so I mean, this is just so you're you're learning this stuff on the fly that that's such a great life lesson, like there's so much you can learn just by doing, yep. w- was there anything that you'd say, oh, I wish I would have done more preparation here' Or is it really just, hey, you can only do so much, and then you just got to go for it. And, and there's just certain things you're just not going to know until you get out there.
1: Yeah, you don't know till you know, um, and that is the whole thing about adventures. You know, like I will go into I go into any more adventure. Like, have I, you know, going in risk assessment, making sure I'm happy and comfortable that I don't know everything now, but it will be okay. I know I've got the basic skills. There's nothing I wish we'd done differently. Um, and there's nothing I would, obviously if I went and did it again, I would do things differently for a different experience, but it's nothing that made me think, I wish we did that. Everything just worked. You know, um, the agreement Skip and I had with each other, the, the best bit of advice I can give anyone, not just for the Yukon, but any kind of multi-day adventure, is the relationship you have with your partner or your team is what will make or break you and your chance of success in a race. Um, we had this agreement that like, if there's any niggles, if anything's bothering either of us, we just have it out in the open there and then, and it's not about the other person saying sorry or agreeing that you're right or trying to convince. It's just like, hey man, this is bugging me. I'm really sorry, but it's bugging me, and it's and the other person like, okay, cool, I'm, you know, I, I understand it's bugging you. I, I won't. It's not about blaming someone. And there was many times, particularly with sleep deprivation. You know, by the end of the race, we were sleeping on average two and a half hours a day. Yeah the longest two and a half hours on a sandbar listening for animals and paddling 18 hours a day in the world's most remote parts of the world
0: and the reason you were sleeping so little is because all the prep of like you got on the shore you got to make dinner you got to set up camp by the time you rest relax change clothes do what you got to do there was only a couple hours of sleep
1: yeah you got to break make camp break camp we did everything we did everything but we did only thing we did in camp was sleep and poop everything else we did on the boards we didn't even eat camp. we ate on the boards we did we did everything on the boards we filtered our water on the boards we had little little lists of things we, you know we made camp as quick as possible put our heads down set the alarm for two and a half hours get up i usually get up before skip i would get up sort a few things out then wake then kind of give him a nudge i, I needed like a bit of me time either side of going to bed and waking up before i got skipped so i would get up and just start breaking stuff down and you know start boiling the water for the food for the day then give skip a nudge he would get up we would we'd load the boards up and most days we were on the water waiting for the six hour timer to go off standing there ready you know knee deep in water and we very rarely missed our start time and then we would would, eat with two hours into the morning we would kind of go to our knees get the food out eat while floating you know why why eat in camp when you could eat while floating at seven kilometers an hour (laughs) <laughs>
0: you know <laughs> yeah you know, that's how we that's how it's we efficient it. it's efficient yeah, absolutely and 10 years down the road from now if someone asks hey tell me a story from that experience what do, what do you think one of the first stories you're going to point to from uh encapsulate what, what went on there and what what you'll remember from it wow i know i, I mean I've, I've got a few but it's like even then it's it's a list i
1: wish that i had thought about i mean it's like even now i'm I'm making a documentary about the race anyway, which look in the show notes, I'm sure you'll link to it and you'll see stuff so i'm mm-hmm. I'm reliving the race still daily by going through my footage and other team's footage, so it's kind of very fresh in my mind, but I think in ten years' time
0: because so, just so folks know you did this this past summer, I mean this is not. Yeah, yeah. you know, three, four years. Sometimes we talk to people, the re- event was a while ago and they've written a book since and we're talking about the book. So they've had time to process it. You're still going yeah. through that process.
1: I, I still have no feeling in my toes.
0: <laughs> that's, that's legit. Like I, it, it takes a while. It takes a while for stuff to come back. The nerve,
1: the nerve damage. You know, I had no feeling in my feet for six months. Um, what would I say? I mean, I will, I, I have a thing about life that these kind of experiences, age, I don't look at age as a number, as I like getting old. I look at age as a level. So each, so in 10 years time I would be 10 levels higher. And I'd like to think that in 10, in 10 levels higher, I'll be doing something just as amazing that is pushing me to do something that's well outside my comfort zone. I will look back on the Yukon 1000 as hopefully not the only life changing experience that I'll ever go through. So I don't want to be, I don't want to think that that was it. That was my mo- I don't want that to be the thing you know that that showed me that what what you're capable of and it showed me how if you really do put your mind to something you can come out of this the life lessons and things and I hope that that inspires you know, people to, to just you know go outside of and do something that they thought they would never you know in their wildest dreams going to do and I hope in 10 years time I look back and say well that was a start that started me off doing this and now I'm doing this and when I'm 80 I want to be doing something that is pushing me based on what I'm doing when I'm 80, which might be paddling down a canal in Guildford, dodging shopping trolleys, being chucked to me by kids at school. <laughs> Cause when I'm 80, that's gonna be quite an adventure. I don't know if that's an answer to the question. It's just like um, the taste for adventure is there now, you know, and like like you said at the beginning of this 2017, I tore my, knee, um, uh, tore my MCL kite surfing and spent maybe half an hour maximum on a paddleboard and now done some pretty but probably done some of the most epic things you can do on a paddleboard in a short period of time. And it's a, it's a small niche community, really. It's a great growing community. So, you know, you are known, you get contacted quite a lot, people doing a thousand people doing other races, you know, mm-hmm. I did all my personal training diplomas and my coaching and my training. So like, I'm now helping teams and consulting teams that are doing this race and other races similar to it, passing on my experience, but not giving them a, Here's a, here's a ready-made plan for how to do the Yukon 1000. I'm trying to tell people that, yes, you can go on and contact people and someone can send you their maps. Someone can send you their GPS track. Someone can send you their kit list telling you exactly what you need. Someone could tell you what the adventure is that part. That is the adventure. That is the part that is so special, the learning. And so I'm helping other teams by saying, look, you know, I'll tell you some shortcuts, you know, you know to do your mapping, here's some great websites to look at these are the books mm-hmm. I recommend you read, you know, like mm-hmm. here's a good place to hire, hire a canoe from, because you know that's just practical stuff. That's just spend time learning this, spend time doing this. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I will hopefully give you enough to inspire you to go out and do, make your own journey, and do it your own way.
0: When should we expect a, a film to come out?
1: So that is the next ultra endurance event that seems to be going on <laughs> forever.
0: <laughs> That's usually harder than the, uh, the. Adventure. I mean, yeah,
1: uh, it, it is because, you know, uh, my, my full-time occupation, I have a film production company. I always, what, they say people have, everyone's got a book in them. Uh, I don't like writing. So I'd like to think that everyone's got a film in them. So this is my, this is my documentary, my film. It's kind of, I'm doing it myself. I, I would like to think, I would like it out by spring. Uh, I'd like it out before the 2024 20, race. It's a, beast of a project because i have a my attention to detail i want to tell the story in the right way and it's not the thing about the film It's the film is not about me or skip or our adventure it's about the race the people both past and present and the 2023 race so i'm hoping to cover something in there that will appeal to everyone whether you canoe you paddleboard you kayak or you do none of the above um and you're just interested in some crazy people chucking themselves down a river and hoping they pop out a thousand miles down the river with nothing but I mean, it suntans and mosquito bites and an amazing Yukon 1000 coin. Wow,
0: man. That, I, I mean, I can't think of a more adventurous thing to do than a thousand miles on a paddleboard in Alaska. Can I, can I ask this before we get off? And yeah, yeah. yeah. W- what was one of the wildest reactions you had to somebody seeing you do this? Because, I mean, if I was on the Yukon River in a village and saw two dudes going by me on a paddleboard, I don't know I, what I would have thought. Did you have any interactions like that? Or you just didn't see anybody.
1: didn't see anyone. <laughs> you know, so like, it's like, this is so beautiful to not see anyone. It was amazing. And I said, no, the, the hardest thing was trying to maybe explain to people back home. What we were, what we were doing was hard enough. When we'd done it, trying to, you know, there's a, there's a horrible, I think probably the post race blues or post, you know, I've never had a thing oh, yeah. like it because, you know,
0: I like, guarantee you had it after
1: this. Yeah. Oh, they get time. back and, the noise, people, cars, your hyper, your senses are hyper-aware. And you almost want to shout at people and say, do you know where I've just been and what I've just done? Not for recognition, but because things that you thought mattered don't really matter. And I, like to th- and I, I, I hope that I've come back. The things I hope to take away from the race is that the things I learned on the race about what matters most, what doesn't matter, what I could throw away, what I should not get stressed about, you know, that like what's not going to matter in ten years' time mm-hmm. is not what to worry about. Um, I'd like to think that you know six months out from the race, I am living by those those virtues and those new kind of like, um, life, uh, kind of uh, parameters I've kind of set myself. Now you know I'm a very different. I'm nowhere near as stressed as I used to be. I look at things and it's something that would normally stress me out. I'm like, does it really matter? You know, I you know the great quote is like. Did I die? Am I going to die? No, I'm not. Does it matter? Is this going to matter in a week's time? No, it's not. You know, like, so, you know, trying to explain to people what it's like out there. Someone said to me, this shows you how, how it's hard sometimes for people to comprehend uh, what you've done. So, someone's like, so you did a thousand miles in ten days. How did you know what hotels to book each night if you didn't know how far you would travel each day? <laughs> and you're just like, you don't quite get what I mean by no one's up there, do you? And like, you don't want to say to someone that makes it sound silly because you know you don't want, you know it just makes you realise how people just can't the world the crazy world we live in you know the crazy hectic busy some people's perception of what is off the face of the earth is oh I drove out of town the other day and I passed a tractor you know that to them is like oh I went for a walk and I saw four, only four dog walkers it must be a horrible da-. they don't quite understand that like what it means to say I did not see a human being I saw more bears than humans. I, you know, I drank and purified all my water. I only ate what I had on my board. My feet swelled to the size of hammers. I haven't had feeling in my feet for six months. My hands were falling apart. You know, I lost seven kilograms in nine days and I finished it with the biggest smile on my face. I I could never expect anyone to really understand that. But we've all done it in our own ways, in our own adventures. And I think it's not about trying to convince someone how great it was. And that's why I hope the documentary, that's why maybe it's taking a bit longer because I could make a very, Oh, look, here's a really nice thing. Here's but I want to try and show enough, but not everything. I want to kind of, hopefully I want someone to watch it and maybe go, okay, the Yukon ain't for me, but, Hey, you know, I might go out and do that hike or I might go out and do that. And I might actually go and try that paddle boarding or I might do that. Or I actually might contact Craig and say, okay, what do I need to do to to get the, to get into the Yukon 1000? You know, I, I don't know, but um, I know that's a, another long-winded answer to a, a, a short question.
0: Um, oh, that's amazing yeah. answer. That's uh, you, you nailed so many things. I can't imagine how hard it was to readjust to normal life and care about bills and just those things that, you know, survival for 10 days, literally, is just taking it back to the our lizard brain and letting that just flourish yeah. and, and yeah. be in control. Wow. We don't get the chance ever. Most people never get that chance to even do that for a moment, much less a week and a half. And, and, and other things you've done since.
1: Yeah. where was the last time in your life you could say, I only had to think about one thing, and that was just keeping myself and my partner alive? That was all we had to think about. For 10 days it was, and it was the most liberating thing all we cared about was making sure we were both safe that's all we thought about that's all we it,
0: did. it's almost like the only thing we can do now to take us back to the simplicity of childhood of just having fun or yeah. it's not fun in the sense of just playing with your toys and playing with other friends but it is it is simple in the same way there's something about it that's just unbelievable and man so you know this film's coming up did I see that you're going to be doing some other races here soon? There
1: was, I got back from the Yukon and I went and did the 11 cities in in Holland a month, uh, six weeks after. That's a 220 kilometer non stop race in Holland. I tried it the year before and didn't quite make it. I scratched, I had terrible cramps. Um,
0: <laughs> how did you do this year?
1: I, I finished it and I earned my. Cross. There's a there's a, a the eleven cities cross which you have to finish it in under 34 hours. I had the most amazing support team, uh, Ella, a good friend of me, who did the Yukon in 2020, and they She 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 won the race. The uh, she won the eleven cities the year before. She done it many times. She supported me. I got my eleven cities cross. I come eighth in that. Um, that was a month and a half after doing the Yukon 1000. So I, I didn't get on a paddleboard from the Yukon. Got off, and the next paddleboard I got on was a 220 kilometer race. Um, put that one to bed so basically ticked off so like i was going through ticking off the things that i wanted to say and then head out to last paddler standing where we met mm-hmm. that was like my end of season i signed up for that in the beginning of the year so um and i know that we would be here forever so i'm not going to go into any details but that that race didn't it, it wasn't my kind of it was an endurance race but it made me realize that not all endurance races are the same uh, I absolutely love the brutal simplicity of that race. I love what Greg's doing with the race, mm. and I'm would, I would fully support it. But it wasn't the kind of race for me uh, I found out after a you, few hours. But
0: you yeah. found out a new skill, which is covering races like that. Because you're not going to cover the Yukon. Like, it's just impossible. But this kind of event so, is watchable.
1: It turned out that, like, I can talk for 42 hours as well as paddle. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I, you know, I, I, I still don't say I don't like the sound of my own voice. And I can't understand why someone stayed listening to me talk with you and uh, Kristen. But, uh, I, you know, I, I had the most amazing time meeting some of the world's most amazing and inspirational paddlers. You know, I felt, you know, why, you know, this is amazing. Why am I here? And I've got people like John Nipper's like, oh, my God, it's the Craig Sawyer. You know, yeah. like, this is
0: this is weird. This, is, this is weird. And, You know, Bruce you know, went and watched every minute of that live stream. He said he loved it, too. Yeah. You and I
1: and Kristen and various guests talked for 42 hours and I discovered that actually I love sharing the stoke and the, the enthusiasm around that. And I, I do hope that, you know, 2024, I get to take that passion and do more commentary and covering stuff, um, particularly around the ultra endurance. I know, yeah that, that element. I think I've hopefully proved myself to be a... Um, voice of uh, not authorities uh, wrong it is but you know hope i've got enough interesting stuff to keep people listening Mm -hmm. um and people can deal with my english accent and my often very fast talking and sometimes mouth goes before the brain engages uh so yeah so i hope the last paddle standing was amazing and i hope that's opened some doors and (laughs) i didn't think i'd be racing i don't think this i I was a paddleboard but i hadn't put any stress on myself but then you know someone's like hey so uh you're doing the Alabama 650, right? And do you know what happened?
0: <laughs>
1: what happened in August 2019 when Skip and I sat in that, in that pub and looked up a race? And like I was about to say, eh, and I was like, oh, start Googling it. And like, yeah. I'm in the Alabama 650 this year, you know. So <laughs> I
0: was going to say that might have come up as the longest annual paddleboard race at the time. So, that, that, yeah, so that,
1: yeah, that, yeah. So that's the longest. It wasn't around then. but So this is the longest paddle. That's the longest American paddleboard race. So, yeah. So I'm in for that in September. Very different race. Oh, yeah. Um, very different challenge. Not a team supported, but not you know, on your own. Only two paddlers have ever completed it, obviously, John and uh, Brad. Uh, Brad Friesen from Canada, an absolute legend that has helped. He's done the Yukon 1000 and helped help me out uh, immensely with with his paddle partner, Scott. So, yeah, so at the moment, I'm down for the, the Alabama 650. Uh, I'm now having to speak to people and convince myself that I don't need to be worried about crocodiles, snakes and bears and sharks. Um, uh, yeah, so... But that's a very different race that's that's going to take a lot of training that's going to take a lot of physical because there's no flow you know there's a lot there's it's you know brad even said that he thinks physically the the 650 is harder than the, the thousand um from a physical point of view um i i, I take his work I, I i don't like to compare the, I, I think you can't compare races but you just know you're going to find a pain cave somewhere and it's going to be mental physical it's when you get to these kind of races, you can't compare, but what you can compare is that, you know, you've had the ability, you've done it before you've put yourself in a position of something that just seems completely impossible to do. And you did it. So why the hell not this time round?
0: Wow. Wow. No. Well, Craig, I, I think we're going to have you back <laughs> on to talk about some of this other stuff, especially <laughs> I, cause you're not done. And, uh, yeah. How, how do you find in this this newfound passion and desire for these long trips fitting in with with the normal life? Because that's often a question people have from like a practical point of view. Yeah, because uh, you have like, your own business, you have a family. Um, yeah, these things are traveling pretty far. How, how do you do I, it?
1: Well, I've traveled for work. For, so as a film producer, yep. I've always traveled. So uh, my I've always you know before COVID, you know, I was in the US. Yeah, you know, sometimes twice a month. So I've kind of had, so I've built the business and my team around me to enable me to do these things. Um, I have actually set up a a separate site as a side process. It's part of my company, but focused on creating adventure content. I've got a passion for something. I've got the experience through my company. So the Yukon documentary is the first one, but I have a project in mind of untold stories, creating short films about some amazing people and adventures, like what you're doing on the podcast, but for maybe film, you know, I, I want to go and see nippers. I want to go and see John, you know, those that know his backstory. I mean, I want to be the one that gets out on film, you know, like, well, we, uh, didn't,
0: we didn't get it on the podcast because
1: we, yeah, cause we I jumped
0: know, right that. into the I said, Dang <laughs> it, man. We got to do it. We yeah. never got around to doing it. So, so, so I make there's it a work. lot so, more there.
1: There is a lot more. So I think we'll see, you know, I want to get more into creating content around you know, combining the passion, my experience but also going out these adventures, time is always tough, you know, like it's a, it's a passion. You've got to fit in the training as well for if I'm doing the races as well, you know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, this is something that, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you're just buzzing to get going, it's, it's amazing. And I'm very fortunate to, to, to have hopefully put myself in a position that I can do these things and disappear off and have these adventures, you know, and hopefully do things that are going to surprise me every day.
0: Man, I'm super excited. And that's above66.co.uk, right? Yeah. So, above,
1: uh, yeah. And the little story on that one very quickly, fine. I've got to go, but above66.co.uk. Um, uh, Above66, I mean, some people said, why? Yeah, so, my, my main company is called Blue Juice. Uh, Blue Juice was a, a, a terrible 1990 surf film, a UK surf film that basically went straight to DVD, but has some quite big people in it. One of you and McGregor's first films. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in it. Look it up. It's called Blue Juice. Okay. That 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 was my inspiration for my my main production company, uh, Blue Juice, because I love water at the time. You know, kite surfing, And above six six is well, the the Arctic Circle is the uh, the sixty six parallel. Um, yep. The Yukon one thousand. I went for the first time ever above 6'6". I I actually filmed myself crossing the Arctic Circle on the Yukon and declaring to my GoPro that the promise to myself is to start a production company called above 66 that will focus on pure adventure content, sports endurance and, it's, and the, 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 the people within it. So that's where wow. it was born. It was born as I crossed the 66th parallel into the Arctic circle.
0: You made, um, you made like a declaration. I made a declaration. No kidding. I, mean, I did not know I, that. I mean, wow.
1: yeah, I made a declaration. I've got the YouTube, I've got, sorry, YouTube, I've got the, the GoPro video of me saying it. As I cross, cross over the parallel, um, set a website cool, up Yukon 1000 will be the first um, production i put out on it like i said i am yeah, calling it untold stories you know so i want to fill that bank of projects with short films no, nothing quite as meaty the, the 1000 I, I don't think i've got enough storage and hard drive space to to keep doing this but you know there's some amazing stories out there there's some amazing people so yeah so above66.co.uk uh, instagram you know above66 you can also find uh, i've got the, the sub coach uh, I know you'll have all these in the links as well. So basically I, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of like spread out and splattered all across social and in various places and stuff. And it shouldn't be too difficult to find me and hunt me down and, and haunt me.
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh man, well Craig, thank you. Gosh, so much coming on, telling a little bit about it. I know there's literally books uh, worth of stories you could tell. So yeah. thanks for trying thanks. to summarize it and just inspiring folks because this is yeah. You went for it, man. And, and, and it shows that you can do it. And you had, I mean, that's a lot of setback you had too. And you still got it done. It really inspired, man.
1: Really inspiring. As we close out, Skip and I, without each other, it would never have happened. She's a partner. Someone as strong as Skip uh, and I. We just had that. It just worked. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And like, you know, we, we can both dine on that one for a, a long time to come.
0: <laughs> First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash Podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com and until then get out there and have some fun